Santa Rita Hills, Sanford and Benedict, a magical place, and two pieces of the puzzle. You're on the road with Mr. California Wine. I live in London, and I'm having a blast selling cases of damn good California wine across Europe for the Tolado family. And this podcast is about California, the Golden State, my home state, and its awesome wines. This week, I'm interviewing one of two brothers who own Trilado Wines. Every week, we're going to have some fun and ultimately improve your boozing. This week, and kicking off season four, I'm chatting with one of two brothers who own and run a family wine business, Trilado Wines that has dedicated itself to a simple philosophy. Quality endures. The family business really took off in the 1960s with its patriarch, Anthony Trilato Sr. at the helm. Today, Trilato Wines has grown to become the leading fine wine and spirits marketer in the United States. With a global portfolio of more than 85 fine wine and artisanal spirits brands from world-class producers from all over the globe. The family is also in the winery business having purchased wineries in Napa, Rutherford Hill in 1996, and Chimney Rock in 2000. And after establishing themselves in Napa with two beautiful wineries, the family looks south to Santa Barbara, specifically the Santa Rita Hills and Sanford, where they completed the purchase of this winery in 2002. As my guest this week points out, his brother wanted a world-class Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in the family stable. And why the Santa Rita Hills? Well, let's take a step back in time, back to the early 1970s when Sanford was born. In 1972, Richard Sanford and Michael Bennett had a vision to make sophisticated and elegant Pinot Noirs in Santa Barbara wine country. And after spending hours in the car and conducting research, searching for the perfect spot, they settled in the Santa Rita Hills along the Santa Rosa Road where Sanford is today. Richard and Michael had the foresight to plant Pinot Noir for the very first time in the Santa Rita Hills when everyone else thought they were crazy because everyone else thought it was too cold for Pinot Noir to flourish. Fast forward 51 years and the Santa Rita Hills is one of seven sub-AVAs that make up Santa Barbara wine country. There are 2,700 acres planted of vineyards in the Santa Rita Hills and Pinot Noir dominates. And it's here in the Santa Rita Hills where the famous Sanford and Benedict Vineyard resides. Possibly one of the most, if not the most important vineyard to Pinot Noir in the state of California. And what makes this place so special? Such a magical place? Well, stay tuned and our guests this week will talk and walk us through the two vineyards, Sanford and Benedict and La Reconada, that are the Sanford Winery. Speaking of walking, I got to get back to the car and back on the road. I've got a member of the Tolado family waiting for me in my Zoom green room. So buckle up. Here we go on the road. A quick word from the buyer. The buyer.net is your connection to the premium on trade. The buyer.net is your on trade platform, linking key industry leaders, influencers, producers, and suppliers in order to improve reach and awareness in the UK hospitality sector. My guest this week grew up in the family wine business. He's held various positions over the years, 
helping to guide Terlato Wines with his brother Bill to become a major player in the world of wine. As an undergrad, he attended Loyola University in Chicago, then went on to earn his law degree at the University of Illinois Chicago Law School. Following law school, he obtained an additional degree from the program of Owner-President Management at Harvard. Today, he's the Vice Chairman and CAO of the company his father, Anthony Terlato Sr., started all those years ago. He's a Burgundian at heart and leads the family's successful crew program, orchestrating and managing a portfolio of 18 well-known Burgundy Pinot Noir and Chardonnay producers. He's also taken their Sanford winery under his wings and is constantly working to raise the quality of its wine program to new heights. You're on the road with Mr. California Wine. And my guest this week is John Terlato of Terlato Wines. John, always great to see you. And thank you very much for being on the road with me this week. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for taking the time and for inviting me to join you. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation, John. So right off the bat, you know, we're going to talk about Sanford Winery in the Santa Rita Hills, Santa Barbara Wine Country. John, let's go back to the beginning. You know, this is a special place. What drew your family? What drew you to Sanford and the Santa Rita Hills? Why purchase that winery? So that's an interesting question. So the relationship that started with Sanford was started with a sales and marketing agreement that that was um, that was created by my brother. We came together with uh, Richard Sanford was at the winery at the time. We came together with them from a sales and marketing perspective, and uh, they needed some capital, so we made an investment in in the in the winery and the vineyards, and we started to become involved uh, and. Fairly quickly, in a fairly short order, we ended up investing more uh, capital into the winery and and ended up with with majority control of of Sanford. And we never looked back. So it really started with the sales and marketing relationship. Um, it was an area that we hadn't we didn't have any representation in terms of of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from Southern California. Um, and then we dug into it, you know, really pretty quickly. Uh, but I would I would argue at the time when we got involved with Sanford, we really didn't truly understand the the potential of the place. There was we knew there was great potential there, but until we understood uh, the vineyards and and the parcels and the winery and what the winery had what the vineyards had to offer, um, it was it was a great brand. But we knew that there was great potential. What year was this, John? When this, you know, when you're looking at, I, I guess, at the winery from a distribution angle, what year was that? When did this so kick I, off? That was like 2002, 2003. Okay. Uh, and it was interesting because we, when when we came together with with Richard Sanford was comprised of the Sanford Winery and the La Rinconada Vineyard. Uh, the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard was a parcel adjacent to which was really the genesis of, of the place. Uh, but those two parcels had never been put together. So we purchased Sanford and Lorin Canada and in 2003-ish. Mm -hmm. And then in, in 2007, we actually purchased Lorin Canada, which was the vineyard that was founded by Michael Benedict uh, and Richard Sanford. It's called the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard. And for the first time in the history of the place, we put the two parcels together. So that was another milestone. You end up purchasing the winery. La Rinconada comes with it. 
And then you purchase separately at a later date, Sanford and Benedict. But Sanford and Benedict, both vineyards are still owned by Richard Sanford and Michael Benedict or a third party. No. So Richard and Michael had sold the Sanford and Benedict vineyard in 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 1980, 81, 82. That's when Richard moved next door and founded the Sanford winery. So originally the wines that were made were called Sanford and Benedict. And the wines, and we'll get into this later, but the wines that I've tasted with Michael Benedict, the label says Sanford and Benedict. It's completely different than the Sanford winery altogether. They had sold the Sanford and Benedict vineyard. Richard moved next door and and started, launched uh, the Sanford winery, but the Sanford and Benedict vineyard was owned by a third party. Interesting. Okay. So then in 2007, you you put the two pieces of this puzzle back together then. Yeah, but together for the first time, they were never together ever. This is cool, you know. I, this is what I love about the podcast. Obviously, you know, I've been working with with you guys. I think you know you're the one who hired me or interviewed me first for this role at Terlato. And um, I always enjoy hearing something new because I didn't know that part of the story. I just thought Sanford and Benedict the two, and La Rinconada, the two vineyards, came with that winery. No, they were separate. And as we start to get into the discussion. Not only were they separate, you know, physically, but they're very, very different um, geologically. Right. Uh, so we'll get into that in detail as we go forward. Great story. That's some some great background there. So this history of the winery is just, you know, very long and amazing. And I guess, you know, the family owns Chimney Rock and Rutherford Hill in Napa. So you look towards Sanford, you look towards what Santa Barbara, I guess, because you want what a Pinot Noir and a Chardonnay in the portfolio. Is that the deal? Yeah. And I, as I said earlier, that was Bill's doing. He was the one who said, hey, this would be good for us to have some Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from Southern California. So that was it. That was his his initiative. And then over time, my dad and my brother and I were talking about the potential of the place. And then we had the opportunity to buy the Sanford and Benedict vineyard. And we went forward, you know, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. History is important to you because at some point you brought back Michael Benedict as a consultant or as as a consultant or as a piece to this business. Why was bringing Michael back into the fold so important to you? Gosh, that's that's another great story. So after Michael had exited the business, he kind of went off the map for a while. He was not really very actively involved. Uh, in the wine space for some time. Or if he was, it was very quiet. And so one day he actually showed up at the winery and he introduced himself in the retail room to the team. And he said, you know, I'd like to meet the winemaker. My, my name is Michael Benedict. And everybody's, you know, eyes went like saucers and they're like, Michael Benedict, like, you, you know, you're a legend. Uh, and he is, by the way. And when we sat down and we talked with him, he said, I'd like to become involved again at Sanford because I've been watching this now for a couple of years. And it's my belief that it's it's finally in the hands of a family that understood or potentially understood my vision and is moving this winery in the right direction. And I'd like to be more involved. And then I met Michael and he's just such a kind, knowledgeable, interesting introspective person and we became friends we started spending time together you know me chuck i'm curious right so um i'll ask a million questions used to drive my parents crazy when i was a kid 
uh, they're like, you know, everything is why. Well, how come? Why does how does that work? And so I sat down with Michael and I I started asking him questions because I'm thinking, okay, so this is the man who was the founder of this place. He planted the first vineyard in Santa Barbara. He planted the first Pinot Noir vineyard in Santa Barbara County in 1972 when everybody told him that he was crazy and that grapes wouldn't fully mature there. And he knew differently. He was a botanist by training. Uh, so he he understood the potential of the place. He identified this particular property for a reason. And so I'm thinking this individual knows everything about the history of this place. It would probably be good for me to understand this a little bit more deeply. And through our dialogues and our discussions and our time together, as I said earlier, we just became friends and we spent a lot of time together. So I said, okay, I'd like to put a little bit more of a kind of structural wireframe around this, if you don't mind. He said, okay, what are you thinking? I said, I'd like to, I'd like to interview you. And he said, oh, that's interesting. Okay. He said, I'll, I'll acquiesce to an interview provided you promise me that you'll be a good interviewer. Okay. So he threw down the gauntlet, right? So he said, he's not just, you know, this wasn't just going to be a float down the river. So I showed up, we scheduled some time for us to be together. And I showed up with 122 questions and a court reporter because I was going to document this. Oh, so you had a stenographer with you during this interview. 100%. Wow. So we spent three days talking, questions and answers back and forth. And after three days, I said, we're not done. And so we scheduled another three days. So Michael and I spent six days together with my 120 questions, uh, an incredible dialogue with him. And I just came to understand and know the property in a very, very different way once I understood the context of the history of the place and what he was thinking and the decision making and why the decisions were made to plant a certain way and the row orientation and the density of the plantings, et cetera. So he was interested in being more involved. I embraced the concept. We became friends and our dialogues have become very, very comfortable and easygoing uh, and I, I learned something new every time I'm with him. And now we've been friends for almost 15 years. Does so, he fascinating man? Did, you said he went away for a while. Does he live local to the area he there, does. Santa Barbara? He does. He stayed. He stayed local, uh, but he was not nearly as visible as he was when when he and Richard owned the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard. What was his role in those early days? Was he who was making the wine, or was he like working the vineyard? What was Michael's role back then? So Michael and Richard part- participated in this very much hand in hand. And I got the sense from Michael that he was the one who was setting the the course uh, for where they were headed as, as a winery. Michael was very involved in the winemaking. His inspiration was Burgundy. Uh, he didn't believe that Sanford and Benedict would be a a replica in any way, shape, or form of Burgundy because that's impossible. But he realized that they had the right kind of soil soil composition and and weather conditions to make wines that were uh, beautifully interesting based on on this local place. Uh, 
So he was very involved. He was involved in the decisions in in everything, the the plantings, the the vineyards, the buildings on the vineyard, the winemaking, uh, the winemaking techniques. It, he was involved in everything. Okay, so Sanford, we have a, I mean, world renowned winery making gorgeous Pinot Noirs, Chardonnays. Do you think Michael knew what he had back then when he founded this I winery? I do. I absolutely do. I think that he had a vision and I think he believed he knew what the potential of the place. So so you have to remember at the time, we really he was really only focused on he and Richard were really only focused on the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard. And the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard was a very unique geologic anomaly. It was formed, created as the result of a landslide. And again, Michael, with his training as a botanist, understood that this property was likely created as a result of a landslide, probably, you know, 10 to 15,000 years ago. It was a bean farm at the time. This was the parcel that he chose. He chose it with incredible purpose. He uh, researched the place. He actually drove up and down Santa Rosa Road. Michael was looking for a vineyard location on the, the western coast of, of the United States. And he looked from Washington to Oregon down through California. And he identified Santa Barbara uh, as, a, as a place that had great potential. And now he's driving up and down Santa Rosa Road with a thermometer outside the window of his car, taking temperature readings over the course of I, I think he said it was 90 to 120 days. And he identified this one location on, on the rise of, of Santa Rosa Road, on the incline of Santa Rosa Road, as being the single coolest, temperature-wise, coolest location on Santa Rosa Road. So the, the site was chosen with great purpose. It wasn't just, oh, I'll just take anything, you know, up or down Santa Rosa Road. Chose this site, um, met with the owner, uh, asked if they could lease the site with an option to purchase and uh, decided to plant vineyards on this site. And what he identified was, okay, landslide, so Monterey Shale, which is marine-based soil, immeasurably we, deep. No, no, I was going to say Monterey Shale just for our listeners. I mean, Monterey Shale, you could see it on that Sanford and Benedict side. They're like, you know, almost flat, white stones correct correct with chert and all kinds of different variations right uh highly fractured they have not had a chance yet to degenerate in into into fines so big kind of jagged rocks marine based soil immeasurably deep they couldn't get to the bottom with a backhoe so he knew that the conditions were ripe for planting vines, which are creepers, and vines in, in loose soil will go downward in search of hydration and nutrients. Uh, so it was highly fractured, immeasurably, immeasurably deep with high water holding capacity, because as they were digging with a backhoe, they were noticing that as they went further down, that it was moist, there was a lot of moisture. So his thinking was, if we plant these vines own, own rooted, uh, they'll work their way downward and create an incredible root structure in this highly fractured soil in search of hydration and nutrients. And that's exactly what happened. And in fact, for the first 20, 15 years, 20 years, maybe of the, the vineyard, it was dry farmed. They, they, they watered it in the first couple of years to make sure that the, the vines would take root. 
Uh, they didn't want the vines to die. But then once the root, once the root structure was established, uh, the, the vineyard was dry farmed, which is extraordinary. So no water. I mean, once those wines were settled in, you didn't need any water other than, you know, say some rainfall you're going to get during the course of the year, correct? Precisely. Exactly correct. And that's why today when we look at the vineyard, if there's, you know, moderate drought conditions, the Sanford and Benedict vineyard is, is verdant green. It's incredibly healthy. Being planted on its own roots might have something to do with that. Right. So they did they didn't plant to to rootstock. They took they took cuttings and they planted them right into the ground, 40,000 cuttings right into the ground. So we 40 percent of the vineyard today, Sanford and Benedict, is still own rooted, which in and of itself is an extraordinary fact. Yeah, quite, uh, quite rare. So what's we're talking about Sanford and Benedict. And I want to I want to ask you, you know, what makes each side, the Sanford Benedict and, and La Rinconana vineyards, uh, so important to crafting beautiful Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays, but maybe ask, let me ask you this question first. What's the biggest difference between the two vineyards? Yeah, so that is a great question. So here are these two pieces of property, uh, these two ranches. They were called ranches for, they still are, in fact, tangential next to each other. The Sanford and Benedict site is as a result of a landslide, Monterey Shale, immeasurably deep um, uh, marine-based soil. And when we go next door to the Rinconata site, it's complete. It's a completely different soil composition, and in fact, it was created over many millions of years as the result of a meandering oxbow of uh, the Santa Inez River. So this is sedimentary soil, and that's why if you look at our vineyard maps, most of Rinconata is planted to Chardonnay. And most of Sanford is Sanford and Benedict is planted to Pinot Noir. Now we do have Chardonnay and Pinot Noir on both sites, but the soil composition being different between these two sites lends itself to, to, to different varietals and it works brilliantly. And then there's this saddle piece in between where Rinconata and Sanford and Benedict meet. There's a saddle that is landslide soil, but part of the Rinconata vineyard, and that's planted to Pinot Noir. Oh, I see it. Right. I'm looking at the vineyard map now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see that. So there's there, so there's a bit of crossover there. So when you're talking about like the La Rinconada site, so Sanford and Benedict, you have like Monterey Shale, uh, Diatomaceous Earth, La Rinconada, sandy alluvial soils. Would you? Uh, not, it, the, not sandy. Not sandy. Not, sedimentary slash alluvial soils. I won't okay. say that it's crazy rich because it's it's not. Um, again, you and I both know that vines as creepers do very, very well in difficult soil. So even though this is sedimentary soil, it's still somewhat difficult and re requires requires a, a, a vine that's a creeper to work its way um, into the ground looking looking for nutrients. So it's not super, super rich and it's not overly it's not overly diatomaceous uh, earth based either because okay. that becomes a problem when it's overly sandy. When we're looking at that Chardonnay, the 2019 Chardonnay, the majority of the fruits coming from the La Rinconada side, correct? That's contributing. It's like salinity, minerality to this uh, yeah, Chardonnay. So is it? Is that why? Is that why you get more Chardonnay out of the La Rinconada side? That's that's correct. Um, so it depends on which wine we're talking about. You know, we make three different tiers of wine at Sanford. Yes. And think about this in terms of concentric circles. We have the Santa Rita Hills wines, which basically are wines that are are 
crafted from grapes from both ranches. That's the largest of the three circles. So we take the grapes, uh, take the, the grapes and the fruit and the juice from each of the two ranches, and we blend them together uh, to make the Santa Rita Hills wines. Then the next circle in is the Sanford Single Vineyard wines, which we have the Rinconada Ranch, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and we have the Sanford and Benedict Ranch, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. That's the next smallest circle. And then the smallest of the three is the is the circle in the in the center, which are the single block wines, which come from individual blocks, both within Rinconada and within Sanford and Benedict. So if you're talking about the San, Santa Rita Hills Chardonnay, the 19 yes. or Santa Rita Chardonnay, it does come from both ranches. The majority of the fruit comes from La Rinconada. And that does give it incredible minerality and salinity and precision. Okay. And as we get closer to the circle, when you're talking about these uh, block wines, for example, then production just gets smaller and smaller, correct? That's exactly right. Uh, because the parcels are more limited, uh, you know, the two ranches together make Santa Rita Hills. The two individual ranches make the single vineyard wines and individual parcels make uh, the single block wine. So yes, okay. smaller production. Okay, so you touched on soil and climate. Santa Rita Hills, obviously, you know, fantastic place to make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So all these elements then are coming together to create these beautiful Sanford Pinots and Chardonnays, but we're, but we're coming down to two specific sites within the Santa Rita Hills, correct? That's exactly right. And then we have these, this incredible weather pattern, you know, we're 10 miles from the ocean with no, you know, most most of the vineyard land in California is, are, are planted in between two mountain ranges, right? So the mountain ranges generally block the ocean uh, marine-based weather conditions. But when you get down to Santa Barbara, there's an odd geologic anomaly where there's no mountain range protecting or blocking all of um, Santa Barbara County from the marine, the maritime climate, which is very cool. And so every night we get this incredible fog that rolls in. It's very, very cool at nighttime. It, the fog acts in some ways as hydration. And then at, it's beautiful in the morning, foggy, um, covered in fog. And then by 10 o'clock in the morning, the sun burns through the fog and we get sunlight, enough sunlight, obviously, to bring us to full maturation through the course of of the growing season. So the weather the weather patterns are are truly unique as well. You guys just finished the 2022 harvest there at the winery. How would you sum up 2022 this vintage? So 22 was was a terrific vintage all the way through and then we had an incredible heat spike at the end of the vintage. So the the grapes were nearing what I would call full maturation. Maturation for for us is about the accumulation of sugar and phenolic ripeness together. And we wait for those two kind of to cross. And we were pretty darn close to it. And then we got this heat spike, which drove the accumulation of sugar very, very rapidly. So we had to bring in the fruit very quickly. So it was a it was a a, a really amazing, wonderful, easygoing growing season until this last week when we had this incredible heat and then we were rushing like mad to bring the fruit in so that it didn't over ripen but generally speaking and i was there last week and we tasted through all the barrels of the 22s the wines are beautiful the team did an amazing job bringing all this fruit in uh very very quickly and then and then getting it into the fermentation tanks or into the barrels for fermentation 
Are you picking Pinot Noir first and then Chardonnay? How's how how how's it picked? Yeah, the Pinot generally goes first. Okay, the Pinot goes first. Yeah, All right. Generally speak, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking. Can I go on a limb here? A lot of listeners may think I'm a bit prejudiced because I work for the family, but you know, I love this property. But I've also on my podcast, I've spoken to a lot of Pinot Noir winemakers, John. Um, is it safe to say that Sanford and Benedict is maybe the most important vineyard to Pinot Noir in California? Would you would you agree with that statement? Why or why not? So I, I suppose yes. Um look at a little bit of humility goes a long way. Personally, I happen to think it's an extraordinary site. What I do enjoy and appreciate is that there are other winemakers who have been buying fruit from us who have said this is arguably one of the most important uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay vineyards in California. And look, at that's an incredible compliment. Um, I appreciate when others recognize the potential of the site. So again, with a certain amount of 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 humility, I, I think it's an extraordinary site, but others have 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 mentioned this as an extraordinary site as well. Uh, not the least of which was Jim Clendenin, who in an in, in an interview, somebody sent me a link to an interview where Jim said, This is this is the best site for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in all of California. And that was really super nice for Jim to say that. And he was an interesting guy. I loved spending time with him. Uh, so there was there are some people who have identified this as a as as a bit of an extraordinary site, and I, you know we're very thankful um, that other people have recognized the potential of the site. Yeah, I know Raj Parr, um, who buys some fruit from you, at least in the past, he said the same thing. He said the same thing that he thought, in his opinion, it was the most San Francisco was the most important site to uh, to uh, to Pino. Yeah, so there's a bunch of folks that we still, you know, sell fruit to, uh, and they all seem to to enjoy making wines from our fruit, and we're we're grateful. We're grateful for the fact that they're 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 interested in the site, and they continue to use our fruit to make their wines. And there's a bunch of great winemakers. You know, there's fruit uh, Justin Willett and Gavin Shannon and Raj Parr. Uh, and and uh, Devilette, and I mean, there's there there's a a bunch of people buying fruit from us whose wines I truly enjoy and I respect their winemaking capability. So again, we're flattered uh, that they continue to desire to have fruit from, from our vineyards in, in their, in their wine. Yeah, those, you're right. Those are all exceptional uh, Pinot Noir producers. You know, I've been, I get to go to the winery quite a bit. I was out there in February and May and, you know, bumped into you, which was a, which was a really nice surprise. So let me ask you this. What does Sanford mean to you? And why have you taken Sanford under your wings? Oh, gosh, that's a great question, too. Uh, you, you're making me think early here, uh, <laughs> Chuck. So look, at our, as you know, you mentioned it. Our family has vineyards in Northern California, Jimmy Rock and Rutherford Hill. And we own uh, vineyards that have Bordeaux varietals. Sanford was a new thing for us because... It was Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Now we're dealing with something completely different, right? Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, Burgundian varietals, cool climate, marine-based soil. It was a curious and interesting thing for us. And in sitting with my my brother and my father, you know, we were talking about the fact this was these are different varietals. And I asked the question, you know, what should we do with this? And and both my dad and my brother said, go to Burgundy and Ask a bunch of questions. Do what you do best. 
And, you know, they've been making Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, growing Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in Burgundy for a thousand years. Maybe there's something we can learn that that would be interesting for us. Again, not not thinking in any way, shape or form that Burgundy can be replicated or recreated in another place because it cannot. It's impossible. Uh, but I did go to, to Burgundy and I did ask a lot of questions and made a bunch of friends there. And, and I realized that the, the growing uh, and production of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir can be incredibly challenging, but also incredibly rewarding. And so when I, you know, I think about this as like calculus, it's a parenthetical expression. And so we've got the soil and we've got the microclimate and we've got a different place and it's Southern California and it's Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. But there's there's a there's something to this vineyard that I can't quite explain. When I'm at Sanford and I'm in the vineyard, I, I don't know, I, I describe it to people as a magical place. And I and again, I don't want to get too squishy here, but it just feels like this unique and interesting place. And I can't explain why I took up a, a liking to the place because I love all of our vineyards. So we, we're, we're lucky, we're fortunate to own some pretty amazing vineyards uh, here in the U.S. But there was something about it that I just, there was a connection to the place. And so it was interesting. It was different. It was new. It was, it required thought and analysis and uh, percolation and thinking and creativity that just, it just had all of the things that I find interesting in solving a problem. So you really did your homework by going to Burgundy, learning from these people who've been doing it for centuries, and then taking it back to the workplace, yeah. to Sanford. Yeah. So, you know, my first trip to Burgundy was in 06. I had never been to Burgundy. I know it sounds crazy, right? Because you think our family's been in the wine business for, you know, 80 years. And my father certainly had been there. Uh, and I believe my brother's been there as well, but I had never been to Burgundy. So I went there just with this idea of trying to learn something. So I did my homework for, from 2006. I, I went every year to Burgundy two or three times from 06 to 2014. And I didn't say a word at the winery until 2014, because I look at, I'm not a winemaker. I'm a vintner. So I knew that if I was going to sit at the table with a winemaker, who's classically trained, as as a winemaker, um, I wanted to come to the table with an opinion, but I was I was hopeful that that opinion would be informed and well formed. And in order to do that, I felt as if it was a requirement that I needed to understand Chardonnay and Pinot Noir at a level at which I didn't know it in two thousand six. So I did my homework. I think I did my homework. Maybe, maybe not. We can always learn more. I'm not done learning here. Um, and I started to develop some thoughts around Sanford and the vineyards and the potential based on the questions that I was asking and the wines that I was tasting. And I mean, really, in the end, if some, you know, if we were on an elevator and I had 30 seconds to answer, I would say it changed my view of where the vineyard resides in the in in the process. And I felt as if the vineyard needed to be pushed to the front that the vineyard is the most important thing. And we've heard this a million times, right? The vineyard comes first, the vineyard is most important. But the question is, what does that really mean when it comes to decision-making at a winery as it relates to the vineyard versus winemaking? And I think my belief, just my opinion, that the greatest wines in the world, the vineyard is in front, 
man is involved, but is very cautious not to intercede. And those great lines are reflections of a place, right? If you think about the climats of Burgundy, those wines are reflections of very small individual idiosyncratic places. And so if we're if if we have enough confidence in ourselves to put the vineyard out in front, to be involved in farming, you know, from pruning all the way to harvest, and then winemaking, fermentation all the way through elevage, to be careful not to intercede, then we may end up with a wine or wines that are true representations of a place as opposed to wines that are designed to taste a certain way. So my thinking from Burgundy was, okay, I think we have this unique, extraordinary, idiosyncratic place. If we put the vineyards out in front and start to do trials, to launch trials, to find out what we have, once we know what we have and they're representations of a place, let's see where we land. And I think that's kind of where we're headed. So from 2014, when you, when finally, you know, after your trips to Burgundy, all of a sudden you speak up. So from 2014, 2015 vintage, then the mindset, then the mindset starts to change. The philosophy starts to change at the winery. Is that when it's? The, yeah. The, so, yeah. So I was, I was looking to, to, to turn the winery in a little bit of a different direction. But again, I was being very careful, right? Because, uh, you know, we, we own the vineyard, we own the land, we're vintners, but we're not winemakers. And so I, I was trying to be very, um, not trying, I was very respectful around, should we be looking at some things a little bit differently here? And how do we go about identifying what we really have? I want to thank John for being on the road with me this week. John is always a gracious host when I'm visiting the winery taking time out of his day to show me around and taste a few special gorgeous Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays that are made in small batches. And what I love most about hosting this podcast, besides having the opportunity to chat with people like John, is that I'm always learning something new. I've been working for the family for eight years and have visited Sanford Winery on numerous occasions. However, I did not know that the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard was not part of the initial sale. It wasn't until 2007, after the family had purchased the winery, that the family had the vision to put two pieces of the puzzle together, uniting the Sanford and Benedict and La Rinconada vineyards that surround this beautiful winery that is Sanford. Now it's time for Wine of the Week, and my pick this week is the 2020 Sanford Pinot Noir. I realize that I've chosen this Pinot in the past, yet the fact is, this Pinot is so damn good. Trey Fletcher, the winemaker, is at the helm, and Trey continues to craft racy and delicious Pinot Noirs. This Pinot is bursting with aromas of bright red cherry, raspberry, and strawberry fruit, with hints of spice and white pepper. And let me tell you, this Pinot is drinking beautifully now, yet has the potential to age for the next 10 years. It's well built. This is Trey's second full vintage at Sanford. And if you want to hear from Trey himself, jump back to season one, episode 12. The 2020 Sanford Pinot Noir is available in the United States, across Canada, the Caribbean, Asia, the UK, Denmark, Norway, Greece, Romania, and Malta. 
in the United Kingdom. Sanford is distributed by Helgarts and Wines. And I have some trivia for you this week. Did you know that the hills that form the spine of the Santa Rita Hills AVA were named after St. Rita de Cassia? She's the patron saint of the impossible. And that's quite fitting since everybody 51 years ago, except Richard Sanford and Michael Bennett, believed that it would be impossible for Pinot Noir to thrive in these enchanting hills. Thank you for being on the road with me this week. And I hope you enjoyed our chat with John Trelato. I realize that we left you all hanging. Yet if you haven't figured it out, John will be back next week for part two of our conversation. And I'm looking forward to it. If we can't hop on a flight to California, I'll bring California to you. It would be awesome if you could introduce this podcast to someone new this week. And see you next week on the road with Mr. California Wine. Take it easy. (laughs) 